than a prophet, but he was a prophet. He made predictions about the future. And N.T. Wright says he staked his reputation as a prophet on the fall of the temple. And if he would have been wrong, if the temple would have remained, he would have been labeled as a charlatan, a false prophet, a blasphemer, and his movement would have fizzled out, like other movements did, like other false, like false messiahs. Their movements fizzled out as well. But Jesus wasn't wrong. His prediction held true. The prophecy came to pass. In A.D. 70, um, the temple was destroyed. The Roman army, in response to Jewish revolt, burned the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a terrible, violent, and chaotic scene. Thousands of Jews were slaughtered, and those who survived were sent into captivity, into slavery. And Jesus saw that this was going to happen. And Jesus understood that this was going to happen as a result of the judgment of God. And throughout the Gospels, he's talking about the judgment that is to come on Jerusalem, the judgment that is to come on a corrupt religious system, the judgment that is to come on people who turn and, uh, against him and reject him. And by the way, Jesus did not predict that judgment with any hint of glee or sense of vengeance. Remember when he came into the city? Um, I think this is Luke 19. And he looks at the city of Jerusalem, and it says that he was weeping. And he said, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, if only you had known the things that make for peace, but you would not. So in the tears of Jesus, we see God does not take pleasure when people turn against him and perish. But God is a God of justice and holiness. But the point that I want to make here with regard to prophecy is that Jesus' prophecy about the temple was fulfilled decades later after he made this prophecy. So we can be confident that his promise to come again will also be accomplished. When we see past prophecies fulfilled, when we see God fulfilling these past prophecies, we can be confident about God's promises regarding the future. Think of the many prophecies that have been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. Let me give you just a couple. Jeremiah 23.5 prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of David. I will raise up for David a righteous brand, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Well, Jesus, we know, was born from the line of David. Or Micah 5.2, which prophesies that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. But as for you, Bethlehem, from you will come forth for me a ruler of Israel. Of course, we know that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You get the idea. God's promises have proved faithful. This should encourage us and give us hope. When we look out on our world today, which is chaotic and filled with violence, and we can be tempted to think that there is no plan or pattern. It all seems so random. We can be confident that God is sovereign over history. He is working in history, has been working in history, his plan of judgment and salvation. And so that can give us confidence and hope when we look out on our world today. And even when we think about the future, what's the saying? I don't know what the future holds, 
but I know who holds the future, the sovereign Lord of history. But this should also challenge us, this understanding that God's past promises have been fulfilled. We see that in Scripture, and his future promises, his promises regarding the future will also be fulfilled. That should challenge us to take seriously what Jesus is saying here. We need to be ready to meet the Son of Man. Now, in this passage of Scripture, if you want to take a look once again at your bulletin, I think this will be helpful to put your eyes on the text. There is some complexity here when it comes to interpreting this passage. There are some questions and there are options in terms of how you interpret this passage. And so I'll just walk you through some of the things that raise questions with regard to interpretation. Um, One of it has to do with, one issue has to do with how literally we ought to understand this passage and some of the things that Jesus talks about that are going to happen surrounding his return. Signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress and the nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves and the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. One issue is here is how literally do we take these symbols here? Are they simply symbols or, or are we to take them literally? And I think it's very difficult to discern and to get a clear answer on this. I think, for example, when it says that the Son of Man is going to come in the cloud or in a cloud with power and great glory, I think that's primarily symbolic. I don't think it's talking about a rain cloud because uh, in the Old Testament, the cloud, a cloud is a symbol of the presence of God. You remember that uh, while they were in their wilderness wanderings, they were led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. And they knew as long as the pillar was there and the cloud was there, the Lord was with them. And in the temple, the glory of the, of the Lord appeared as a cloud. So I think this is symbolic language here, that the Lord, when he comes, it's going to be unmistakable that he is coming with great power and in the presence of the Lord. So one of the issues here when it comes to prophecy is, in this passage in particular, uh, the symbolism and the relationship between symbolism and how uh, we ought to interpret these things. And then there's also a difficult verse here in 32 where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Well, some people say, well, was Jesus wrong? Is he saying that the end time would come in, in the, this generation, the generation of those who were listening to him? And if that's the case, well, then it seems like Jesus got it wrong. Well, um, there are ways of dealing with that and different ways to interpret that. Some people believe that when Jesus says he's talking about, about this generation, he's talking about the generation who witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. And they certainly were, most of them alive, uh, many of them would have been alive during the destruction of the temple and witnessed those things. Um, The idea there is that there's such a prophetic connection in the mind of Jesus between the destruction of Jerusalem, which represented the end of an age, uh, and the beginning of a new age, that is the age of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. There's such a connection between the end of that age with the destruction of the temple and the very end of the age, the very end that Jesus is collapsing these two events into one. He sees them as a piece. 
Okay, so that's one way of interpreting that passage or that verse 32. Other people say generation means race. It can mean race or a whole category of people such as the Jews. And so Jesus is saying the Jewish race will not pass away and before this happens. The Jewish race is going to be preserved to the very end of time. So there are interpretive issues here. Uh, you can study them for yourself and come to your own conclusions. But there's a very clear point in this passage, a very practical application, and that is we need to be ready to stand before the Son of Man. We need to be prepared because he can come at any time. And so verse 34 begins that practical exhortation. It starts with this. But watch yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Monitor what's going on in your life spiritually so that you will be ready to stand before the Son of Man. You know, we monitor ourselves now, and when it comes to our health, we have all sorts of technology and tools to be very careful about what's going on with us in terms of our health. We can keep track of things. We can keep track of how many steps we take. We can uh, keep track of how many calories we eat with our phones. Uh, we can, of course, keep very careful track, although it's kind of depressing to do this after Thanksgiving. We can uh, keep track of how much we weigh and all those sorts of things. And Josie and I are trying to uh, get a health incentive from our insurance company. So lately, we have been really monitoring uh, our exercise and, and what we eat and those sorts of things. We're paying close attention to our health. Well, Jesus is calling us to watch ourselves when it comes to our spiritual condition so we'll be ready to meet him. And then he lists some of, some of the common ways that people get off track spiritually and begin to lose focus. And I find this list very relevant. You know, there are some people who say the Bible isn't relevant today. The Bible doesn't connect with our culture. I think this list is a great example of how it is very relevant today because the things that he's talking about that get people off track spiritually that were happening then are the same things that are happening now. The human condition doesn't change. Technology changes. Ideas come and go. But the human heart, the human condition, stays the same. And so Jesus is addressing some things that we struggle with even today. He says, watch out for these things. They will weigh your heart down. They will weigh you down spiritually. Dissipation. Drunkenness. And the cares of this world. What's dissipation? Uh, dissipation is, is basically falling apart. And it's falling apart because a person is pursuing a life of excess and pleasure in excess. And so they become disintegrated as a personality. And, and we've all seen that happen. And he says, watch out for that because you'll become spiritually disintegrated. Your heart will be weighed down. So don't go in for excess pleasure. And then he says drunkenness. You know, a person who is drunk loses touch. Loses touch with reality. Loses touch with what really matters. And we understand the pressures of life and the temptations of life and the temptation to escape it all. But Jesus says don't do that. Don't lose touch with reality. Don't lose touch with this fact that you're going to stand before me. Be prepared. Be ready. Watch out for dissipation. Watch out for drunkenness. And the cares of this life can weigh you down. 
when we become anxious about the things of this life. You know, we become worried and concerned about things like money or our health or what's happening in our family and our relationships. All those things are natural to be, uh, to worry about or, or to uh, be concerned about. But if we let those things burden us down, if we are filled with anxiety over these things, instead of taking them to the Lord, we can lose focus spiritually and it can burden us and weigh us down. And Jesus says, watch out for those kinds of things. If we lose focus in the day of the Lord, he says, will come upon us like a trap, unexpected. And we'll, before we know it, we'll be standing before the Son of Man and, and we won't be prepared. It's like Jesus' parable of the rich man. You remember Jesus' parable of the rich man who had a bumper crop that year? And he had so much wealth and so much excess. He said, what am I going to do with all this money? He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more barns. I'm going to build places that I can store all this wealth. And I'm going to say to myself, soul, you have arrived. You've made it. Eat, drink, and be merry. Relax a little bit. Enjoy all this wealth. I guess if Jesus was telling the parable today, he'd say, this is somebody who's made it big in the stock market and you know, said, I'm, what am I going to do with all this money? I'm going to buy a house in Malibu. I'm going to buy a house in Europe and just relax and enjoy my life. And Jesus said that very day, his soul was demanded. That very day, he had a heart attack. Well, Jesus doesn't say a heart attack, but that very day, his life ended. And uh, he had built his life on those sorts of things, and he had lost focus, and he wasn't ready to give an account before the Lord. Jesus says to us that we need to be ready to stand before him. So are we? Are we ready to meet the Lord? Have we repented of our sins? Are we trusting in his death on the cross to pay for our sins? Do we have the assurance of eternal life because of his resurrection? Are we trusting, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Are you watching those sorts of things that can get you off track spiritually? Dissipation, drunkenness, the cares of this life. Are we pursuing lives of love and holiness? Now, Jesus doesn't say only here are the things to avoid, but he gives us a positive command here in this text of Scripture. He says, stay awake at all times. How, Jesus? How do we do this? Praying. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. The first disciples desperately needed the strength of the Lord to survive what was coming. They were facing difficult situations and persecution like many of our brothers and sisters and other places in the world are facing today. How are they going to make it? Jesus says, pray. Pray that you would have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And we need to pray to have strength to stand firm and to be ready and to be prepared to the very end in the midst of our trials and temptations and those things that threaten to weigh our hearts down. Pray that you would have the strength. I don't pray because I'm a super Christian. I don't pray because I'm a strong Christian. I pray because I'm weak. I pray because I'm weak. And I need the strength of the Spirit of Christ that I encounter through prayer. And when we don't pray, what we're, either we have forgotten 
or have never experienced the strengthening of Christ in the context of prayer, or we have gotten to the point where we think we can do life on our own without Christ. Jesus is saying, no, you need to pray to be strengthened, to be able to stand firm to the very end. I want to encourage you as we get to the end of this year and the beginning of a new year, I'm, I'm trying to make it a goal to grow in prayer. I'm, I'm going to be reading about prayer. I'm going to be praying more. I'm going to try to make this more central to my life. I invite you and challenge you to join me in that. And we'll be talking about that in the new year. Prayer strengthens us now and prepares us to meet Christ in the future. I've told this story before. I'll close with this. The story of an old man who's in his final days. The pastor comes to visit him and uh, in the hospital, and the pastor notices that there was a chair by the bedside, and so the pastor says to him, Donald, I've seen you, you know, I have seen that you've already had some, some visitors today. And uh, uh, Donald says to him, um, no, actually, uh, let me tell you about that chair. A few years ago, I was struggling with prayer. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you just set up a chair and imagine that Jesus himself is sitting right there in that chair and just share your heart with the Lord as you would a good friend. And he said, I discovered that a couple of years ago, and so that's what I've been doing now. I've been setting up a chair. It helps me visually, and I pray to the Lord as if he's sitting right there. And the pastor thought that was wonderful and terrific, said a prayer for, for him, and then he left. And then later on that day, he gets a call from the daughter who says, uh, my, my father slipped away. My father passed away. He, she says, it's kind of odd. He, um, he was doing fine, and I left the room for a little bit to take a break, and when I came back in, he was gone. He, and she said the really strange thing was he was reaching out towards his chair, and his hand was resting on the chair. And uh, she said, isn't that strange? Have you ever seen anything like that? And the pastor said, no, it's not strange. I understand what he was doing. This man had built a, a friendship with Christ, a relationship with Christ through prayer, and that relationship strengthened him and prepared him to meet the Lord. Friends, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, is going to return, and he stands at the end of the path. He stands at the end of the path of history, and he stands at the end of all of our life's journey. Let's be ready to meet with him. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do ask that you would give us grace and strength to prepare ourselves to stand before you. It will happen much sooner than we think. That the day will come when we arrive at your throne. And we thank you that you have prepared a way for us. You are a great judge, yes, but you are our redeemer. And so we stay, we, we, we we take courage and strength from that fact that you have given your life for us so that we can stand in your holy presence with boldness and confidence. Help us to be ready and help us to help others be ready, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.